Hello, happy grandpa. Hi, happy grandpa. Happy grandpa. That's what we're calling each other now? Yeah. I don't think we need to talk about where that phrase comes from. Uh, You'd have a lot of explaining to do, and I couldn't even begin. <laughs> yeah. Although we, we do have a happy grandpa coming, actually, in our lives. We do. We do. That's our true. Brother, our brother is going to be a grandfather. Yeah. And we will be great uncles. Or I don't know that we'll, we'll be, be, great, we'll be pretty good. At, we'll be pretty good at it. We'll be okay, great uncles. Yeah, it's very yeah. exciting. Yeah, very exciting. Um, yes, addition, new additions and losses. We had a we had a very sad loss today. Uh, Robert Downey Sr., um, a dear family friend and um, someone I used to know uh, back in my youth, who was a, kind of a mentor to me. Just a great guy, and um, very sad we lost him today. Yeah, I had the privilege of of meeting him a couple of times and doing a reading of a screenplay of his once. Um, a prince of a, of a guy in in, yeah. in every way, just a really yeah brilliant genius, total genius, and one of my one of my favorite filmmakers. Just great and a great guy. So to and, his family and to friend his friends, uh, our condolences. Yeah. We will we will always say spitunia, you know. Yeah, there there are there's so many, so many phrases from his movies that are in our our lexicon in the family. Yeah, spitunia, spitunia. Uh, how how many syllables, Mario? How many syllables, Mario? Um, yeah. I can crawl again. I can crawl One again. Of my favorites of all time. Yeah, <laughs> Dad, I don't want to die anymore. <laughs> yeah, so many great lines. Yeah really really a talent um so how you doing uh in general in a general sense i'm i'm fine everything is okay uh been busy uh with my editing jobs that i do now um we just finished a uh, my my production company my uh my buddy uh michael and i my producer and i uh just uh, did production on a short film that we're wrapping up and I'm doing edit on that now. Just a lot of lot of technical stuff lately. Are you uh, kind of fancy free at the moment? Um, I'm somewhat fancy free. I'm doing a lot of editing too, but you know the literary editing side. Yeah. Um, and working slowly on the boot, launching this new spirit that we're launching. Okay, any um, any actual news this week that that you could cuz I haven't heard anything to, yeah, from you no, at all. No no big news. We're just taking care of of details, getting ready for this trip to Chicago where we have a bunch of important meetings with some consultants um and some food writers um and uh, when we have to go there because we cannot ship you cannot ship booze. Uh, and particularly now oh. when we're, we're just bringing samples, we don't have a liquor license yet. So we're bringing our homemade samples. You don't uh, want to commit a felony right before you start a business. No. That, that's one thing I know. That is one thing, you know, so we're, we, we have to go there for these meetings and then we will uh, have our business plan completely finalized at the beginning of August. And then we, we start getting ready to uh, raise the money and uh, launch this thing. Um, and then getting ready for the new semester. I've got a new class that I'm teaching, so I'm starting to do some prep work to acquaint myself with that. Reading some uh, some books. Some reading books. some books uh, and uh, failing up. I'm failing up at at my job. You know, it's it's not, I, I'd like to fail up like you have been at your job. That would be fun. Um, and have you watched watched anything uh, good this week? Have you eaten anything good this week? I did eat something good this week. I we we uh, I splurged on the fourth, and we you know we have it's apartment living here, so we're not really grilling um, right now. But uh, I got a couple of um, of dry aged uh, New York strip steaks and um, didn't do too bad with them. I, I feel you know I I, I could have I, I probably could have taken them out of the oven. 40 seconds earlier and that would have been okay a smart move but um hell 
Yeah. Do you have the meter? M-E-A-T-E-R? I bought one for Adam. I have one and I bought one for Adam. I should get one for you. Is it a ther- meat thermometer that attaches to your phone? It's a Bluetooth meat thermometer and it comes with a a program. So you tell it what cut of meat and what degree of doneness you want. And it wow. tells you when to take it out and when to rest, how long to rest. It does it does everything. That sounds like something uh, that would have been handy for, for me the other day. It's pretty great. Yeah, uh, I'll, we'll we'll discuss, but I, I, that sounds incredible. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what did you what did, did you go to a barbecue? I did go to a barbecue, but it was a it was a wonderful group of friends. Uh, a barbecue I go to every year. Okay. Um, and and but the food is you know it's hot dogs and hamburgers and people bringing oh. sides, so it's just as it should very, be. Yeah, traditional American Fourth of July fair. You want a really nice dried out. Bar grilled burger on on fourth burger, July. You want a brick yeah. a briquette. Yeah, basically, and yeah. a and a uh, a hot dog that is an old withered finger. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, that's <laughs> a wizard a wizard finger. Yeah, basically that's will. what I had. Yeah, it was delicious. <laughs> but I made something last night um, that I've never made. I can't say I made it. I assembled it. Uh, it was something I had years ago at a Middle Eastern restaurant in New York. And I said, it, it was one of the most delicious things I'd ever had. And I said, this is so simple. I don't know why I don't eat this all the time at home. And I was at a market here uh, called, there's a chain out here called Super King, which has all sorts of different ethnic foods of different kinds. So I I, I saw the, the elements there and I said, darn it, I'm going to make that thing I had 15 years ago because it's so easy. And it's you take a, a lavash, you know, that thin Middle Eastern bread that looks like a little piece of paper, basically. Yes. Spread it with labna, which is the strained yogurt. So it's very thick. Sprinkle that with za'atar, which is a spice of sumac, thyme, sesame seed, salt. Pepper. Sprinkle a lot of za'atar on that some sliced fresh tomato, some sliced um, Kalamata olives, roll it up, eat it. And it it's so unbelievably delicious and simple and fresh tasting. And then tonight I'm making the same thing, except I went to Trader Joe's where they have, you can buy a package. Making it with of, bacon. Please <laughs> not, tell me. Almost bacon, you slices of uh, gyro meat. Oh my god! Um, so I'm going to lay a couple of slices okay. of gyro meat in there before yeah. I open it up, and this that's is a be, good plan. Yeah, this is it, a, this is an a number one plan. Simple, incredibly simple, and in hot weather, just very easy and refreshing. Not spending time in the kitchen. Yeah, it's kind of like you know. It's a little bit like a pizza. Yeah, a little bit. You know, a different, yeah. slightly different flavor, but. Yeah, but cold, nice and refreshing. Okay. Um, and, cold uh, pizza's good. I don't have a problem with cold pizza. That's true. Okay, so that's the food. You watched anything interesting? Oh, geez. I've been working so much that when I get done editing, I usually, I usually watch whatever colored things that are on the screen and i don't really i don't really even notice you know we'll watch like you know there's some cooking shows we'll check out uh I, i'm addicted to gordon ramsay shows when i'm oh, yeah. vegging oh. out you know oh, yeah. those are always fun um what did i see did i see anything um yeah no i did this has been uh not a phenomenal week for for new viewing how about yourself well i'm watching a show called the valhalla murders which okay. is Icelandic tv series let me guess is it about a is it about a female cop who is investigating the disappearance of a girl in a small town no and there's a mystery involved in her disappearance no 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 it's, it's close though you I almost had it it's a serial killer okay that's a um, that's in every icelandic show yeah. every icelandic show Boy, I I never thought that I, I, I want to go to Reykjavik. 
I want to oh, go. It's, to a, it's supposed to be great. I, just, I do too. Let's go together. We'll go sometime. We'll go. I, it looks extraordinary. And do, is that where they have the ice hotel? No, the ice hotel is in Norway or Sweden or something. Well, they have the, the there's very famous ice, uh, like baths, like a spa baths near the we'll, airport. In, in we'll Reykjavik. do that. Near the but, airport. You just fly in, take a bath and head home. That's it. Yeah. That's the day. Right. On our way. Um, and then I watched, I don't know if I talked about this last week, a movie called Nobody, uh, starring Bob Odenkirk. I can't remember if you told me on the show or not, but, but uh, that's really fun. And, uh, I, I, I think it's the only movie that you can describe as a cross between John Wick and history of violence. Okay. If you mash those two movies together, you, you would get... I, I, Nobody and well I, and I like um, and uh, Death Wish. Oh, okay. Those three movies, you would come up with nobody. I had to refer to my journal because you know we're we're boojoing this now. Yeah, but I did see some. I forgot I, this week. I did see. Uh, I just want to mention my friend uh, Terrence has a movie that he directed and wrote that's on uh, that just got released on this platform called Shutter. Which I oh, have. I have okay, and uh, uh, it's a really cool little uh, indie horror movie, and it stars one of my best friends, uh, Jacob A. Ware, who's also in my movie. And anyway, this movie is called An Unquiet Grave, and um, it got a nice write-up in the Times. Apparently, I haven't read the review yet, but uh, anyway, um, I saw that. I'd seen an early cut of it. But I hadn't seen the final cut and um, an unquiet they, grave. An unquiet grave. I'm writing that down as we speak. Uh, and so I did see that. That is something I saw that I'm glad I remember to mention. If he's going to be starring in horror movies, he should change his middle initial to B. <laughs> Don't you think? Uh, I will. I will let him know. Jacob, beware. I will let him know. Yeah. I think that's very smart. And 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 if if he has never heard that before, I'll give you a dollar. Yeah, well, uh, uh, he doesn't talk to me. I don't know because he's in movies and he doesn't talk to me anymore. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't talk to us anymore. He's no. famous. Yeah. Okay. So um, this week uh, we're talking about a movie that we watched called uh, "Honey Badger Don't Care." <laughs> uh, the name of, I'm sorry, no, that's the working. Name. It was the, the working title. The working title was "Honey Badger Don't Care" because he don't care. This because this, this Honey Badger does not care. This guy does not care at all no. about anything except ninety three thousand dollars, which is which I read is the equivalent of like over, over half a million dollars. Yeah. It's quite a, a bit of change nowadays. Um, this was 1967. So we're talking about 1967's point blank directed by John Borman. Starring the honey badger. Lee who Marvin. does not care. <laughs> yeah. Starring Lee Marvin and a panoply of those guys. Wonderful. Those guys, but before those guys, we must say, comes Angie Dickinson, ladies first. What a lady! Oh my God! What a fantastic, a fantastic person in all the films. These great films, these classics that she was in. Like not that many movies, maybe, but what she did is crazy. Yeah, and and she's incredible in this. Um, so good. And everybody wants her everybody in this movie yeah <laughs> it it gets weird it's a little weird she knows she can she can tell too and she's weirded out by it <laughs> yeah she's yeah yeah um so had you are, was this a, a new uh you'd seen this before yes but um in in uh in the tradition of our family i saw this movie when it was released in 1967 yes at the age of seven years old oh which is not when you, you shouldn't uh, no no that a is not a old, no it's like that that is reason enough right there to call child protective services 
I oh, yeah. uh, go, see, go see point blank. Yeah. yeah. Here's here's a nickel. Here's a nickel kid. Go to the corner and see the movie. At least it wasn't straw dogs, but <laughs> oh, point God. blank is no picnic for kids. No, I saw, I mean, the, uh, of our generation, parents were taking us to stuff. Like if anybody who's listening might be like, you know, yeah. 30 or under. <laughs> right. <laughs> There's no way you'd understand. Like parents used to just take people to kids to stuff just to get them out, just to shut them up and scare them so that they would be <laughs> quiet for a night. <laughs> yeah. Maybe if, if I can terrify this child into catatonia, mm-hmm. catatonia. Luckily, I don't really know state. the product. I'm glad I don't know the correct pronunciation to that. That would yeah. mean then the, the kid will bother me a lot less if he's drooling yeah. in the corner in fear. And so you you haven't seen it since? Not since. Did it? Did you remember things like? Did it scar you? Did you remember being freaked out by it as a kid? Or I remembered. I remembered one thing from the from the movie which I've remembered my whole life as a very cool moment, the buckling of the seatbelt. It is still a great moment. It's a great moment. Cause you know, something bad is coming up better, button my buckle my seatbelt. Mm-hmm. Most uh, accidents occur three miles from home. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great moment. <laughs> That's you my favorite you, line. Why don't you tell, tell uh, folks uh, at home a little bit about what this movie is about? Um, this movie is 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 really basic you know it's uh it's it's about a um it's about a a guy named walker played by lee marvin who is double crossed in the beginning right in the beginning of the film uh you see kind of a montage of of uh him being really badly double crossed he's crossed as badly as you get crossed in one of these movies you know he really does which considering the rampaging that happens in it, like you needed it to be bad in order for it to justify. And it really is bad because his partner uh, double crosses him, shoots him and steals his, his wife away from him and then leaves him to die, which he doesn't do. Um, This, this all happens very famously on uh, the rock on Alcatraz, which and no film had ever been shot there before. I think this was the first movie actually shot on the rock. Um, okay. And uh, it was not a working prison at the time. It was still, you know, kind of an old messed up place. But he he makes it off the rock by himself. And a year later, wants to get his money back. And that's the whole movie. He just wants his money. And he goes about systematically finding where it is finding the people who know and getting uh revenge essentially or trying to and he's helped by a mysterious character played by keenan Wynn, who's so great in this and um who you, who you think is an fbi agent or a you're fed. sure yeah you're sure he's a, he's he's a, a fad yeah yeah he's using and they're and that they're using uh lee marvin is sort of a point up uh a uh what what what, what is the word a uh, a straw a straw man to get at the the sure. organization sure yeah. i would say i would have said a dog man maybe a or dog a man yes cat bird something straw, some kind a of a creature yes. yes um and uh and and that and that's really it you know you got a lot of incredibly uh on point kind of gangster tropes in the movie and things that are that are really done in a really unique way and it's a simple story it's really simple it's just he's this guy's going to get his money and he goes about getting it and uh he wreaks a lot of havoc in the process um uh, the names of the characters uh that he's going after um uh, let me. Why did I? I didn't write them all down. Here. Well, there's Fairfax. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, who's the other guy? Who's uh, Brewster. Oh, Brewster. Brewster? Yeah. Brewster. Fairfax by. and Cart Cartwright. Cartwright. Cart- Fairfax. <laughs> and and everyone's um, talking like you got to talk to Cartwright about that. Well, you yeah. gotta go talk to Brewster. Brewster's the one who's got your money. <laughs> you know, Fairfax so, got the money. 
this like um I, I I get the feeling you enjoyed this. I I'm I'm you know I I is a big movie for me. This one I saw in like film study class in as a as a senior in high school or something, and it really got like it really connected with me and and it inspired me to want to like it was one of the movies that inspired me to want to make movies because uh, wow. I think it's safe to say this is a directorial this is a movie about a director as much as it is about uh, you know a, a, a narrative because yeah, you almost picture Borman saying let's see what happens if I do this <laughs> there's he takes so many chances on it you know it's it's incredible and it's incredible that he did it under the studio system you know i mean there the, the studio was was uh not apt to want to do art movies and this is a real art movie this is like a art movie yeah uh but it all but I, here's for me and what i like about it i don't know if this is what you felt but for me this is an art movie that unlike a lot of art movies also totally connects as a as a pop advent like pop action thriller it's yeah. both things and i think you can get you can get anything you want out of it if you're not interested in the artfulness of it but if you are there are there are a lot of really famous things about it um from a movie making point of view so it's but it is it is weird with a capital w it gets really weird you know Very yeah strange and not just in the filmmaking we'll we'll cover the filmmaking but the the writing is nuts there is it's, nutty stuff in it and yeah. the casting is 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 crazy um uh the uh the casting of michael strong as stegman as one of the bad guys michael strong who comes off as like, how is he one of the big bad guys? He comes off, he's namby-pamby, odd, weak, slightly uh, effeminate, and and yet he's one of the, he's spoken about as one of the tough gangsters. And it's, it's very strange. Well, there's, there's, there, among other, among other things that are going on with it, there's a really weird uh, sexual dynamic between all the characters actually uh, you know and so like no what are you what are you making faces of you for <laughs> it's it is so strange yeah and it's so strange that there was one sequence during which i actually started humming to myself come and knock on my door you know the, the theme <laughs> yeah, from the love scene, yeah. company during the love scene it's yeah. like oh my god what mm -hmm. is happening here yeah you, you know the sequence i'm talking about i do yeah it it's it man it takes a lot of chances you know well we, we should tell people listening what happened his lee marvin's wife leaves him in the double cross for another guy um that guy has also slept with his wife's sister who is angie dickinson and then Lee Marvin's wife, when he finally finds her, dies, and Lee Marvin starts sleeping with the sister, who has also slept with the bad guys. And when Lee Marvin finally sleeps with the sister, they have this shot of him sleeping with her, and they roll over, and she's in bed with one of the bad guys. And they roll over, and the bad guy is in bed with the sister. So it's this sort of yeah. time lapse rolling over everybody having slept with everybody else, and you're just like, and it starts, but it starts even in that first two minutes with that party scene where where Reese and and Lee Marvin meet. John Vernon and Lee Marvin meet in this giant like stag party with a thousand guys just screaming and shouting and partying in this room. It's the craziest thing you've ever seen. And they see each other across the room and they're like trying to get to each other and they're shouting and they're pushing guys out of the way and they get to each other and they collapse onto the floor. And John Vernon is like, making love to Lee Marvin in the middle of the room. Practically. It is so strange. The, the weird while he's sexual telling him about the caper. While yeah. He's telling him yeah. 
begging him to help him and then you gotta help me you know and then there's the weird you know the the one of the big payback moments which is really my i guess my favorite sequence is when he come you know lee marvin finally gets back to find john vernon in his room in his bedroom and he's naked and there's this incredibly strange like scene where he's menacing john this naked trembling john vernon who who was actually terrified of lee marvin oh really yeah yes look i i love lee marvin but unfortunately he was not a really nice guy to some people like he was he was rough to work with i think and john borman loved him and they were really good friends but he did punch john vernon in the stomach um in one of their first scenes together um because he thought he was too weak to play opposite him and admittedly you have to be pretty tough to play opposite lee marvin because there's not a lot tougher on the in the screen than lee marvin you know or in like, real life i mean the guy yeah. legit got shot up in the pacific during world war ii and he um recovery went and through hell yeah. yeah and um machine gun was machine gunned well i didn't i didn't know that i knew he yeah. was injured terribly and i knew he saw horrible horrible things he I, I was listening to some of the director's commentary on the disc last night and john borman was talking about soderbergh was interviewing john borman on this so soderbergh's a big fan of this movie uh for a lot of reasons um but they were talking about uh, Borman was talking about how there's a lot of lee marvin in this movie that it's really about you know uh, a a, bru- a man who's been brutalized and a kind of a brutal man who's trying to who's got something in him that's trying to he was trying to redeem something through his relationships with these women and he apparently really opened up to John Borman and said like you know he went to the Pacific when he was 17 years old and he was an incredibly like naive like sweet kid and just came back a completely different person and never really got to never really exercise the demons that he got out but anyway he was he was a rough dude and he he punched john vernon in the stomach in their first scene together and apparently made john vernon cry because vernon was a theater guy like an act like a just an actor actor he Aww. he literally started crying and was like i can't i don't work like this like i don't punch oh, no. people <laughs> yeah yeah which is crazy because John Vernon himself is such a tough guy. Like he always played tough guys. Well, Dean Wormer. Come on. I know. <laughs> Come on. It's, it's terrible, but it's one of those roles that just, it just sticks. It does. He's one of my favorite lines. That foot is me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was him. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. the You know, the editing in this movie, my God, that's where I think that's where Soderbergh really, you know, got with it. And he, he, it's so innovative in its editing style uh, that it was, a, it was really a while later that anybody was using any of these things in their films. Well, they do that incredible thing in that scene that you were just talking about where they're on the floor during the party and he's screaming, I need your help. And they keep cutting to his voice quietly say the same lines like i need your help they're gonna kill me i need your help they're going to kill yeah. you know it's just this weird juxtaposition of ideas um the so- uh the, the sequence where you know there's a very famous sequence where he comes he finally gets to la from rehabilitating in san francisco where the where the the drop happened and everything went wrong. He gets to LA and he immediately goes to his wife's place and you don't know what he's going to do. He's clearly very upset. <laughs> he's got a gun. Yep. Uh, a 44 Magnum before dirty Harry. This is the gun that Clint Eastwood wanted to use. And he, he bursts into the, his wife's apartment um, but immediately goes to the bedroom and starts shooting at the bed where he's assuming uh, John Vernon is is not, but then anyway, this whole weird time lapse thing happens where he's the whole sequence is about ten minutes. He meets her, she comes to a bad end, but then the apartment starts emptying out of furniture and stuff, and then proceeding cuts, and 
then he's alone in an empty place. Um, it really starts to give the feeling like everything's uh, a memory of his, you know? Right. His arrival in L.A., um, when when he gets off the plane and he's walking through that tile, that long tiled underpass at LAX that I remember from my childhood. Yeah. And the, the fact that they use that because every time, even as an eight or nine or 10 year old kid walking that hallway, I felt like I was in a movie. Yeah. It felt like a movie set. You're like, I'm arriving yeah. in LA. I'm walking down this long futuristic tiled. Yeah. My footsteps are echoing. And, and and then they use it in the movie and his footsteps are like a metronome. They're like, bam, 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 as he's coming. And it's these footsteps of doom as he's oh, coming he to his is, wife. He's an unstoppable force at that yeah. point. And it, yeah. It, that, that shot is... It, that's the shot that really got me in film school. Like when that, when they were showing that sequence, I don't think they showed us the whole movie, but like we saw that famous section of him arriving in LA and just that corridor stuff blew my mind. And, you know, uh, also the, did you notice the use of color in, in the movie? Yeah, It's very strange. It's so unique. You know, everything is, um, done in sections like this is the green section and in right. the green section every the sets are green the chair the upholstery is green the suits the ties the everything is a different shade of green right uh which i found out the, the director's commentary at least according to borman is just because uh it was his first color movie and he, he he was nervous so he kept everything he wanted to keep everything in the same palette he didn't want to make a mistake because he really hates in movies cutting from a shot with something very red in it, for instance, and then cutting to the reverse of something where a blue thing contrasts to it and he hates it. So everything is one tone. Wow. Um, um, a couple of things. Uh, the, the, uh, again, a movie from the sixties, seventies with a music break. Oh, yeah, but what a great one, right? What a music break that ends up having one of the most violent backstage fights. It's fantastic. And, and using the screaming of the of the singer who's doing this whole thing where he's screaming at people in the audience, like, going, sing with me now, sing yeah, with me yeah. now. You know? And yeah. then they're screaming, so you can't tell what is singing and what is screaming. And then the the worst punch to the balls I have ever seen yeah. in my life in a yeah. movie. I, I, I like that punch to the balls so much. I put it in my movie as an <laughs> it, homage. It's pretty insane. Yeah. It's rough. That got that. Apparently the, the ratings board was a little bit like, really? You're you can't, you can't do that. Well, and the no, ratings board, where was the ratings board with this movie? Cause you've got Angie Dickinson, completely nude in 1967. Yeah, but it's movie. it's in the background with an anamorphic lens, so it's just on the edge of can't, you know. Well, it was it was this side of the edge to me to me I mean for me. You're complaining. Got, You're sitting here complaining. No, no. This. this was the good side of the edge for oh, me. Yeah. I mean, maybe I maybe I was just flashing back to being seven years old and not believing what I'm saying. Yeah. And then John Vernon kind of nude because he falls out of go. the sheet and down on a way to go by a car. That's a way to do an homage to Hitchcock is just put somebody naked in there. <laughs> naked fall. Yeah. yeah. Just insane. Yeah. And um, what I love in that sequence is the cops freaking out all over the place and all of the bystanders are completely bored bored yeah like yeah. nothing's going on where the cops are running and, and bystanders are like huh i wonder what happened here yeah what a commentary it's a i like um the viewpoint on la and, and like american culture it it, it really it, it really helps to watch the movie i think remembering it's directed by a british guy um, like a very British guy, John Borman. Um, this was his first film in America. He'd never worked here before. It wasn't, okay. he was a pretty young guy. And 
you know, there could be books written about how the, the courage that he had to come to the States and do his first big Hollywood movie and take the chances that he did with it. I, I mean, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing that he got away with it, but, I, but you know why he did? It was all Lee Marvin. No. Lee Marvin and him hit it off for some reason. Like they got along. They both hated the script. Like they hated it. Really? Yeah. They thought it was garbage. Um, so they went to work at deconstructing it so that they could have fun making it and make it about this character and really fracture his psychology and, and show that fracturing even in the way the movie was made and how it looked and they hit it off. And, and apparently Lee Marvin went to the studio and said, um, he was already an Academy Award winner at that point. And he told the studio like, the, he, this is my guy. John Borman's my guy. He goes, I have cast approval. I have final cut approval. I've got all these approvals. I abdicate all of it to him. And he left the room. Wow. And wow. so this young English guy suddenly had final cut. And uh, so I guess Marvin, he had a lot more, he was a lot more powerful back then than I, than I gave him credit for. I didn't know he was that big a star, but I guess. Well, because he had just won the Oscar for Cat Baloo, right? It must have been. It must have been that, yeah. Um, um, well, you know, this is from a book. Right, Westlake. Richard Stark, who's really Donald E. Westlake, who wrote over 115 novels. Jeez. And are you, are you a fan lot, of Westlake? Yeah, yeah. A lot of them made into movies. Uh, and one of them, I believe, called The Axe, which hasn't been made into a movie. Um about a guy who a guy who's in a very specialized line of work who loses his job so there's like there's only one or two other companies in the country that he could go to work for and so he realizes and there's only you know seven or eight other guys in the country who can do the job that he does so he realizes that several of them need to die so that he can get a job with one of these just He's just a regular guy, dude, but he has this specialized line of accounting or whatever. So there's a certain number of people who have to die so that he can get his job back. It's similar to another company. It's yeah. Very basic needs that they yeah. have, these characters. Yeah. Um, have you read the, the book this was based on? Uh, the Hunter? No, I haven't. But now I want to. Um, I love the first line. I think it's the first line in the movie cell prison cell how did i get here right <laughs> it's super noir it's like yeah it's like yeah it's like doa you know that level of simplicity um i will uh venmo you ten dollars right now do it while we are on the show if you can answer a question for me Oh man. Okay. Well, I can't answer the question. This isn't like I'm trying to trick you. I, okay. I looked for the answer to the question, couldn't find it and want it. Okay. There's a scene where, where he, he comes in, uh, he, 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 it's towards the end where he shows up at the, at that house and, um, uh, Angie Dickinson tries to beat the crap out of him. And she beats him and beats him and beats him. And he just stands there. Yeah. And she beats him until she falls on the floor in exhaustion. And he completely ignores her as she's doing it, just stands there. And then she falls on the floor and he walks over to the couch, sits down and turns on the TV. And a movie comes on. And they show several lines of dialogue in the movie. And I wanted to know what movie that is that he's watching on the TV. I had the same reaction and I forgot to look it up. So I looked everywhere. I was plugging the dialogue into Google, hoping it would pull it up somewhere. Could not find what movie it was. I will have that information for you next week. I'm shocked. Shocked, I tell you. I will try to have it for you next okay. week. Okay. I should, that's something that I should know. I feel bad that I don't know. You remember that. the scene though that he's they oh, show yeah. it very clearly. Oh yeah. 
got to have some significance. It, it must have some kind of meaning to to at least to John Borman. Yeah. But this is also the man that directed Zardoz. So, you know, what has <laughs> what has meaning for him is going to be a little odd, perhaps, for the mainstream. Right. Okay. Favorite lines? Because I have some favorite lines. I'm sure you do. I, I do really, uh, I do love that line. My, I guess my favorite line is most accidents occur three miles from home. So I, that the, is a great line. Yeah. Two of my favorite lines belong to, to Carol O'Connor, who shows up at the end of the movie. <laughs> that was great. He's so great. He gets out of the car and he goes, he shows up at like the, the top secret lair of the bad guys, right? Where, where unbeknownst to him, Lee Marvin is waiting inside the house to ambush him. And he shows up there, the car pulls up, the chauffeur opens the door and he gets out and he says, look at that hillside. Nobody did any watering or anything. Yeah. Oh my God. Here we yeah. go. Yeah. And this pool is freezing. In, yeah. He gets into the house and Lee Marvin attacks him with the gun and everything. And Carol O'Connor says, you're a very bad man, Walker. <laughs> <laughs> I was that is good yeah um but but another one of my favorite moments is when he um i think it's when he first sleeps with angie dickinson and it's the next morning and she says hey what's my last name great great yes and he says what's my first name yeah I, and I neither noted. of them knows the answer it's great it's, it's so great good. yeah and they both got each other. It's really cool. And he plays yeah. it really well because he's like clearly like, oh, I don't I don't know her. <laughs> but but yeah. Yeah. Um, and <clears throat> the other thing I love is that the two main guys who start the whole story off are named Walker. You know, just a, a man who walks. That's his only name. He doesn't have any other name a guy who keeps moving and then his nemesis mal bad bad yeah that's great <laughs> how simple can you make simple it? but you know it, it's you know it sounds like it would be really silly when you when you hear people just say it like this in a way but they really create a universe where all of that makes sense like Completely. the world that this happens in isn't really our world but it, it's also not a fantasy because there's there are a lot of people that um, believe that this is actually that that Lee Marvin is dead, uh, that that he's actually not that he's killed in that cell in the beginning of the movie, and that this is a dream of what he'd like to do, and that actually makes a lot of sense to me. Well, there's a lot of people that feel that that is the interpretation of it that works. And um, it, you know, John Borman said he, he refused to say what, you know, what his interpretation of it is. Um, but it's definitely the whole thing is really about memory, you know, and and time lost time and trying to piece things back together somehow. And being and having lost the loop, like he's he's lost a year, you know, and everything's changed in his life when he gets back. And I feel like that that fracturing of him and his psyche, it, it, it's a part of it. It's 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 a part of it, whether or not he's actually a ghost and he's seeing a fantasy of what he'd like. But there are weird things like him and him and um, uh, who is it? Uh, Keenan Wynn they really never look at each other like literally almost never look at each yeah, other that's true and there's these weird little clues that maybe he's actually not there um, well especially at the end when he gets them when the money is his for the taking and he doesn't yeah take it yeah he walks away so it's almost like the ghost came back just actually for revenge yeah or it's just like the 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 cycle of this violence never stops it's this like you know it, it actually is a great interpretation of the movie it's a lot more like a, a weird horror movie that way when you think about it but 
you know, like again, this kind of stuff sounds, I mean, it's not like Mulholland drive level, you know, uh, um, esoteric, you know, it, it, it's a lot more easy to follow than that movie is. Uh, but it's, it's, it's got things in it that are as surreal as that movie. Yeah. Um, cast people in the cast that stand out for you. Well, I'm, I, I love James seeking in this movie a lot. I think that character is fantastic. Um, and, uh, like one of my favorite hitman characters in a movie. Yep. Love that. Uh, love that guy. Anybody else? Um, well, Sid Haig, you know, it's always nice to see Sid. A tiny part as the lobby guard in the, uh, right. in the, you know, in the building. Right. Um, I, I, you know, it's not a movie. I'll be totally honest. There, there's, 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 you know, I, I love this movie. There's, there's things that I, I, I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't really know what Sharon Aker's doing in this, in this film. She has a long monologue that I don't quite uh, get. And I have to say for a movie, I love, love. It's got a couple of sequences in it that every time I see the movie, I'm just like, I, how did this make the cut? The 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 meet cute between him and her on the dock. The flashback to when he meets her. Yeah. With all his like uh, meat packing buddy, like cannery robe buddies. What, like, yeah, what is no happening? idea what's going on there. It's the we most drunk and we fell in love. It's the most awkward, impossible, like none of this happened. Like it couldn't happen. Why yeah. would she be walking along this cannery road dock, first of all? And then they go swimming. It's 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 like the same level of awkwardness that was in Thief, where they go to the beach or like just cut this right. out of the movie. Yeah. And then the three of them in the car. Yeah. But that I'm starts getting funny. <laughs> that started becoming like funny on purpose. Yeah. This was like, I don't know what. And the, there, this is like a little anecdote in the director's commentary that I was listening to the other night is Soderbergh was they, they got to this section and um, what was it that he said? He goes, uh, he goes, you know, scenes like this are always just so difficult, aren't they? <laughs> he said some way of transitioning to like <laughs> acknowledge that it was really not good. But what were you thinking? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What about, um, did you notice the, the car salesman who works for Stegman, um, who works for Michael Strong, who's sort of in the background trying to sell a car to that yeah. blonde in Florida? Yeah. There's a guy named uh, Lawrence Hoban, or Hoban, or Hoban, H-A-U-B-E-N, yes. who has only three acting credits, Um uh, a TV series called The Outsider, one episode. Uh, a, an, a, ser a series called Then Came Bronson, one episode. And this movie, three acting credits. He has one writing credit. Only one writing credit. Um, one Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, my God. For which he won an Oscar. And that's it on IMDb. That's three wow. bit parts, one bit part in a movie, two bit parts on TV series, win an Oscar for one. I'll take it. Movie. I'll take it. That's, uh, that's <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Like, so bizarre. And you don't have to go driving with Lee Marvin. Right. And he's wonderful in the movie. He's, he's, he's very interesting. It is a great. It, it, yeah. It's a really good scene. Actually. It's very, that reminds me a lot of, there's a lot of Hitchcock in this too. You know, um, I mean, that there's there's definitely some process shots of the guy falling off of, of you know, John Vernon falling off the roof. Right. And of the, the screen doors, there's these two shots that are really notable where they've processed in uh, a, a, uh, a window screen that Lee Marvin's looking through um, to, to I'm sure to great expense in, in these two very strange, surreal shots. But they're also very Hitchcock looking. 
Um, and that fight behind in the theater behind the screen is also to me like very Hitchcock. Oh, it's phenomenal. Um, there's also the great shot. There's this great shot of um, Angie Dickinson where um, then you realize that you're looking, it's, it's a shot of her by the pool. You're looking at her by the pool and then Lee Marvin turns on the lights inside the house and you realize you weren't looking at her by the pool. You were looking at a plate glass window and you're seeing her reflection in, in, in the, uh, by the pool. And the minute he turns on the lights in the house, you're looking into the house. It's a great shot. Yeah. Really well done. There, there, there are, there are so many things about this movie from a, like a director point of view. Like, I feel like it, this is just a prime example. If you want to, if you want to show what it is a director does or could, can do like what their, what their contribution to a movie is, this is a perfect example of it to me. Yeah. Because honestly, Everybody was a fa- everybody did it was was a professional uh, had worked in the business for a long time but nobody on this really was a there wasn't a famous DP on this movie there wasn't like a like a really famous editor I'm sure they they were well known and worked but but so much of this was 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 Borman just pushing this vision uh, which was so weird you know. And it also really like this viewing, I realized how much I feel like he was putting commentary about L.A. and about America in the movie. You know, another place where it showed up, aside from that thing of the violence with the cops and the bystanders being bored by it, is the is when he takes Angie Dickinson on sort of their first date and they go out and they're at a diner. Yeah, like a car hop diner, a weird <laughs> cheap yeah. diner, yeah. A cheap diner, and they're having a conversation, and they they keep cutting to this young couple who are bored. Yeah. It's, it's a young, attractive couple, and you're thinking, oh, they should be in a conversation. They should, this is, this is background. This is what's going on, life mm-hmm. around the crazy murdering people. Yeah. Yeah. should be normal life and yet whenever we cut to normal life it's it's almost worse than what's going on in the movie yeah because it's not normal it's life it's la it's good. la you know it's, yeah. it's it's hollywood yeah um yeah it's a really really cool vision of the city it doesn't look like this in any other movie you know uh John Borm, you know, it's always cool when when people from other countries come here and shoot stuff in cities that we know because they never shoot what you think they're going to shoot. They never shoot what an American, you know, he he didn't shoot what a person from L.A. would shoot. Right. And a person from L.A. would probably have a lot of really cool, accurate, you know, this is what really the locals do. And these are the real places and stuff. But here's a guy that doesn't know any of that. He's just going on on what his what he's seeing for the first time. And um, I think you can learn a lot about our culture from watching other, you know, other cultures look at us. And it reminds me of a cartoon that I saw today um, of somebody saying what Europeans think the 4th of July looks like in America. Mm -hmm. And it's a a mother and a father and their two kids. And they're all around the grill making hot dogs and hamburgers, but they all have, like the father has an AK-47. AK-47, yeah, shotguns and stuff. The mother yeah. has, a, you know, a revolver yeah, yeah. In, her, in her apron. And uh, they don't seem to be half wrong about that no, either. No, they're not. They're completely not. Um, yeah, there seems to be a kind of a shocking, you know, like this animalistic thing that, that I feel like John Borman saw in Lee Marvin seemed to be this very American idea, this very American form of violence and 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 gangsterism that that it's just never been like in any other movie. You, it's it kind of you can see that in other movies like later on in some of the paranoia thrillers in the seventies, like the way that this is just called the organization, which right. is another thing I stole from this movie from my movie. Uh, it, the mysteriousness of all of this, what they do, how they make their money, how deep this 
business goes. You don't, you're never told anything. No, you're just kind of, you just, you're just kind of along with Lee Marvin and only know what he knows. Um, and also you mentioned that thing about her, you know, slapping the shit out of him in that scene. Oh my God. Totally authentic. Cause she hated him. Really? They had worked together before they had done a Western together <clears throat> and he, she found him kind of abusive apparently. And uh, there was a stunt that they did that he kind of messed with her on. Like he, he, he was being an awful person. Oh, wow. He was like hanging her out of a window or something in this stunt. And he really freaked her out. And he, so she just hated him. And, and John Borman knew that going in. And actually one of the reasons he wanted to hire Andy Dickinson was because they had this bad history. Huh? But he convinced her to do it. And then part of the thing was that during that take, like everybody agreed. Yeah. You can just, just beat the hell out of him. Go crazy. And she got it out of her system. And that's why the take goes on that long. Oh, wow. she just hated him. Really? Oh God. Yeah. I did not know that. Okay. Interesting. Um, Sid Haig, did you did you notice the young Sid Haig? Which, oh, which one was he? He's the he's the lobby guard in the in the in the building. Oh yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Spider Baby. We talked about Spider Baby on the show. Spider Baby. We should do Spider Baby next week or or the week after. Spider Baby. Um, is Spider Baby available? I'm sure it is. So did this movie, does this movie make you want to like make movies or or not? Because to me, uh, I see this and I'm like, that's just, who wouldn't want to make movies seeing that movie? It's so yeah. cool. <clears throat> yes, it did make me want to make movies. I'm going to go make a movie. Wow. Don't, don't do anything crazy now. <laughs> no, it did make, it, 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 I loved it. I, I completely was, I was, I was um, surprised though, because my memory of it was much um, because I was seven and all I remembered was the seatbelt moment. I thought I was in for a much uh, more standard slick movie mm -hmm. than it was. Right. And, and I was just, I was a little freaked out watching it. Yeah. Like yeah. this is just bending my my concept of of everything yeah um but i loved it at the same time i i just adored it um but it is oh and then i there is a shot that i want to show you <clears throat> which is that comes at the end of the menage uh uh sank the menage uh huh yeah, I think it's a menage a sank, right? I think there there ends up being a four, at least four or five people in that revolving bed yeah. scene. Um, and then I think even Carol O'Connor shows up at one point, which is very just, shocking. Just about, yeah. Um, and then they settle down to Angie Dickinson lying next to Lee Marvin, and there's this shot. And I'm looking at this shot, and I'm not positive. That is a that's a right hand and a left hand. But the angle of the left hand looks to me like it can't be her hand because her that could it could be her hand, I think. It's weird though. It it, it made me think. They put another actor's hand in there to change the it because the angle looks off to me. It, it, like it, where it actually, her elbow would have to be. It does. That. Yeah, that that's that actually you might be right about that, and that is very that's something also, that John Borman would definitely do. If you look at the two hands, just look at the skin on the back of the hands. One of the hands looks younger than the other one to me. The skin. They don't look like they belong to the same person to me. And it 
it freaked me out a little bit. They're That's also they're, they're also different, slightly different um, skin tones. Yeah. So I'm wondering if if he just decided to look. That's John. It's John Borman. Nobody gets weirder than Borman. You saw Excalibur, right? Yeah. I mean, talk about out there. Yeah. Yeah. No, he'll he'll do it. He'll throw another hand in there. He'll get you another arm by three o'clock this afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know, um, <clears throat> you know the guy who. Uh, the guy who gave us deliverance, you know, be happy to. Boy, oh boy. What a, you know, what a one-two punch there. Yeah. What, what an incredible one-two punch. No, that wasn't a one-two punch. Was it? It's a one, three and a half punch. Oh, wait, I'm looking at the wrong thing. Sorry. Well, what, it was what? in the same room. I mean, look, how about like the, you know, Point Blank, Hell in the Pacific, Deliverance, Zardaz, Exorcist 2, which is, I'm a, I'm honestly, I, I love. Everybody hates Hell that Hell in the movie. Pacific, another movie with some good love scenes in it. <laughs> um. <laughs> Excalibur's got some sexy things. Um, Emerald Forest, he, he's an incredible filmmaker. Really incredible. Well, so next week we talked about doing the silencers, but now you've brought up Spider Baby. Well, I, you know, Spider Baby is uh, an, an experience. If you haven't had, it's it's worth having. I haven't seen it. Is it available? Let me look that up right now. Because we could always save the silencers for the week after Spider Baby. Silencers is a, maybe a little bit too much like Point Blank to do well right it's a very di it's a completely different um flavor okay than point blank it's it's dean martin and and a, a, a bed that dumps that you you press a button and a wall you're in bed and you press a button and the wall slides away and the bed lifts up and dumps you into a pool with women in it Interesting. <laughs> yeah. And it has uh, Victor Buono. Victor it. Buono, please. <laughs> it's going to be creepy if he's in it. <laughs> Spider Baby, you can rent on uh, Amazon. Um, right. You know. It's, so let's do Spider Baby next. Have you time. ever seen Faster Pussycat Kill Kill? No. Ooh. Well, so you well, get to call. You get to call next week. Uh, it's not available right now. Okay. I, don't, I would have to track it down. Um, all right. I, I don't. Uh, you seemed excited about about this Dean Martin movie. I've never seen it, so I'd be happy to see something I've never seen before and save Spider Baby for, you know, for the following week. For the following week. Okay. So the silencers next week. Okay, that sounds like a good plan. Which I also saw when it came out when you were too when when I was too young. I forgot to mention, I did see something else this week uh, along these lines. I, I, I rented a movie I hadn't seen since I was a kid, and Dad took me to see it when I was very much too young. Okay, do we need to call your therapist? Oh, they're on call. I'm, they're watching right now, actually. Oh, I'm okay, surprised good. they haven't. He hasn't said interrupted us. Um, but The Gauntlet with, uh, with Clint, have you ever seen that? Yeah, I saw it a long time ago. Not a film for children. What what is it again? It's Clint Eastwood. Is there a bus involved? In yes, it? there's a bus. He it's Clint Eastwood trying to get Sandra Locke, who is a mob witness from Vegas to L.A. in one piece when everybody's trying to kill them. Oh, okay. And at one point, he does hijack a bus and you and like fortify it with pig iron, and it's right. crazy. And fun, Locke, who... and under no circumstances should children see this film. None. Okay. Well, then we have to do that. And then I think we have to do Sharky's Machine. Oh, we could do a Bert. 
we could just do Bert for the rest of the summer. We could do Gator. We could do so many. Should we do a, after 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 Matt Helm and after Spider Baby? We should do a, a parade of Bert. Let's do Stick. Stick. <laughs> Let's do a whole bunch of Bert. All right, that sounds like a good August vibe. August, like, August is Bert. Bert's very hot weather guy, you know, okay. steamy Florida. Here yeah, let's go. do it. All right. Well, this was a good evening. It's great. Pleasant um, conversation. Cinema. What what could be better? And I'm gonna go have some lavash and labna and zatar and gyro and tomato and. Uh, I'm going to do it up. Well, say hi to the gang for me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, thank you all for joining us. And uh, don't forget to join us next week. Well, if you do, we'll remind you. Okay. Good night. You've been listening to the Arkin Brothers talk about movies. That's my brother, Matthew Arkin. And that's my brother, Anthony Arkin. And we are interesting, irreverent, and irrelevant. But you can follow us on Instagram anyway. You can also subscribe to our newsletter and check out our merch. And you can do it all on our website. Just follow the link on your podcast app. Or if you really want to stalk us, head over to arkinbros.com. You'll learn more about us than anyone would ever want to know. 